Welcome to Tea for Two, the podcast for women in golf and the men who support them. With your host, Karen Harding. Welcome. Today we have two very welcome guests and one most unwelcome visitor. That visitor is skin cancer, and we're going to explore ways in which it can be minimised in our lives. Figures from the national government agency Cancer Australia shed a light on some compelling statistics around skin cancer, of major interest melanoma. In 2022, some 17,756 people have been diagnosed with melanoma. This is 11% of all cancer cases diagnosed this year. Melanoma is on track to be the third most commonly diagnosed cancer in 2022, behind prostate and breast cancer. In 2018, it was fourth. A more encouraging statistic is that in 2020, melanoma was the 10th most common cause of cancer death in Australia. In 2022, it is estimated to have dropped to 11th. These figures suggest the question, is skin cancer being better diagnosed, better treated, or a combination of both? Today we're going to ask this of Dr. Anita Lasotsky, a highly respected dermatologist with a special interest in skin cancer detection and management. We're also going to explore the experience of well-known media personality and keen golfer Deborah Hutton, who has twice fought off skin cancer and is now an advocate for skin cancer awareness. Next month, December, is the month for the longest day, the golf challenge run by Cancer Council Victoria to raise funds for prevention programs, research into and detection of skin cancer. Originally the brainchild of property developer Andrew Buxton as a challenge between mates to raise funds for charity, The Longest Day was linked with Cancer Council Victoria in 2013 to become an official fundraising event. Since 2020, Golf Australia has supported this important challenge, such that it is now run nationally. The name The Longest Day was cleverly coined to connect the summer solstice the day of most daylight hours of any day in the year, with the all-day effort of playing 72 holes. For those exhausted by the thought of that, it is now possible to undertake the long day, 36 holes, or the longer day, 54 holes. Of further interest, as part of the Australian golf strategy principle that all golf is golf, the challenge can now also be undertaken at golf facilities other than golf courses such as mini-golf or a golf simulator. If you haven't yet tried The Longest Day, it really is a lot of fun, as well as a challenge and a totally worthwhile experience. So please consider either getting a friend or team together or just having a crack yourself. You really will enjoy the day. In the meantime, let's now join our guests and see what we can do to kick it to skin cancer this Christmas. We are firstly joined by Dr. Anita Lasotsky. Anita, hello. Thank you for joining us today. Hello, Karen. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Anita, you are a fellow of the Australasian College of Dermatologists, graduating in medicine with honours from the University of Melbourne in 2005. You completed specialist dermatology training at the Royal Children's Hospital, Peter McCallum Cancer Centre, St. Vincent's Hospital and the Skin Health Institute. 
You have a special interest in early detection of skin cancer, melanoma surveillance, surgical and non-surgical treatment and skin cancer management. I think it's fair to say that you know your stuff on this subject, Anita. So let's start with the simple question, what is skin cancer? Well, skin cancers are malignant growths on the skin. And there are two main categories. On one hand, you have melanoma skin cancers, which are the most serious. And on the other hand, are the non-melanoma skin cancers, which are really common. They don't follow the textbook and they come in many shapes, sizes and colours. The general idea I like to convey to patients is that it's the odd one out. It's the weird spot. It's the ugly duckling. The colour doesn't really matter. They can be black, they can be brown, they can be pink, they can be grey. Really, it's about being aware of your own skin and trusting your instincts. If something just doesn't sit right, show your GP, show your dermatologist. Which are the most common of the different forms of skin cancer? Far and away, the most common types are the non-melanoma skin cancers. And in that category, we have the basal cell carcinomas, which are known as BCCs for short, and squamous cell carcinomas, which are SCCs for short. They're the most common. The BCCs are fortunately slow growing, and they generally don't cause any problems internally to a person. Certainly, the earlier that we detect them, the better, because then the treatment is straightforward and everything's resolved. If we leave them too long, they start to ulcerate, bleed, and then obviously treatment is more challenging. Interestingly, these non-melanoma skin cancers, the BCCs and the SCCs, they have nothing to do with our moles and freckles. So really, they're in their own category. Typically, they're pink, pale, white or grey, and they can look like a pimple, sore or scab that just doesn't make sense. Well, that's interesting because I think we often look for the darker spots, don't we, and think that they're the more dangerous. So Mm -hmm. it pays to go and see your GP or dermatologist so that they can identify whether this is something of significance or not, doesn't it? That's true. But also I think give yourself credit. Most people generally know if something isn't right, if your gut instinct isn't quite comfortable about a spot, That's often a a strong signal and usually people are right. The most serious form of skin cancer is melanoma. So what can you tell us about that one? Again, melanomas, there are different subtypes. Some can grow quite slowly over many weeks, months and even years and they can just grow on the surface of the skin and once they're excised, generally patients are cured. And then you have other melanomas that can grow quite rapidly and can grow vertically, meaning right through the depth of the skin and have a higher potential for spreading internally. So some grow quickly, some grow slowly. About 70% of melanomas are a brand new spot. So therefore only about 30% arise from an existing spot that has changed. The majority really are dark. Most look like you would expect. Most look ugly, dark, messy. They have too many shades of black or brown. The outline is irregular. They just don't look neat and tidy. So most of the time they look like the picture on the poster that most people have seen. But as we know in life, there are rule breakers. Things don't always follow the textbooks. There are melanomas that are light brown, even pink. There are types that are completely pink or pale without a speck of black in them. So again, don't emphasize a particular color, just go with your visual impression. And if something doesn't suit your skin 
pattern, that's what needs to be assessed. I know there can always be controversy over interpreting statistics, but one encouraging number comes from the National Government Agency Cancer Australia, which listed melanoma as the 10th most common cause of cancer death in 2020. In 2022, it is estimated to have dropped to 11th. Are we getting better at diagnosing melanoma and other skin cancers, better at treating them or a combination of both? I think it's a combination of both. I think we are detecting melanomas and other skin cancers earlier, which means that the treatment is straightforward and successful. I think patients and the community at large are aware of skin cancer. Pretty much everybody has heard of melanoma and skin cancer. So people are more proactive, I'd say, these days in surveilling their own skin and attending their doctor. But also in terms of, on the other hand, in terms of treatments, we have some incredible new treatments for advanced skin cancer, which have been game changers really in the last decade. So it is a combination of both. How prevalent is skin cancer in Australia? Two out of three fair-skinned Australians will develop a form of skin cancer by the age of 70 which is huge numbers, two out of three. Now, fortunately, most will be in the non-melanoma category and most are treatable, but it's incredibly common. Uh, It's estimated that one in 15 to 18 fair-skinned Australians would develop a melanoma in their lifetime. Where does Australia stand in skin cancer numbers compared with other countries and why is it so high here? We have that dubious honour of being the skin cancer capital of the world, for sure, Australia and New Zealand. And it's a combination of factors. We have high ultraviolet index for many days of the year. We are geographically in the Southern Hemisphere, actually closer to the sun compared to the Northern Hemisphere. Majority of people on this side, you know, in Australia and New Zealand, They're fair-skinned and we're not genetically designed to be in this part of the world. And we spend a lot of time outdoors. It's part of our culture and our interest is to enjoy the beautiful outdoors. So it's a combination of all those factors. The UV index has divided UV radiation levels into low 1 to 2, moderate 3 to 5, high 6 to 7, very high 8 to 10, extreme 11 and above. In Australia, most days are over three, meaning you can still get sun damage in cold weather, can't you? You can. And, you know, the UV index primarily measures the intensity of ultraviolet light B, but there is ultraviolet light A, which is present all year round, including in winter, including coming through glass and uh, shining through cloud. So really, we should be protecting all year round. UVA, which is not measured by the UV index, that causes wrinkling, that causes pigmentation, and it also contributes to skin cancer. So I think whilst the guide of the intensity of the UV is helpful, it's not the be-all and end-all. And I think we should be sun protecting in winter if we're outdoors for a prolonged period of time as well. What are the personal risk factors for getting skin cancer, Anita? There's quite a few, isn't there? Yes. And again, there are no set rules. Uh, Some people get skin cancer and it's just bad luck. There are you know, situations where it's a genetic mistake gone wrong and it could be in a hidden part of the body, although that is rare. Certainly the traditional risk factors are a history of sunburn in childhood, particularly blistering sunburns, uh, a history of solarium exposure, 
uh, chronic sun exposure in the form of outdoor work, being a farmer, labourer, etc., cetera, uh, and, you know, being very fair-skinned, having a high number of moles on the body and having a family history of skin cancer. So all those variables add up and contribute to our risk. Australians have typically been outdoorsy people living and playing in the sun for hours on end, haven't they? Way back years ago, people would lie on the beaches to sunbake, deliberately covering themselves in coconut oil and other lotions to encourage tanning, little knowing the long-term damage they were doing to their skin. The 1981 Slip Slop Slap Ad campaign, which created by Philip Adams and his team, woke up a lot of people to the dangers, but the numbers are still high in this country. Do you think Australians are still too blasé about skin cancer or are we becoming more skin aware, do you think? I think we're getting better. But when it comes to skin cancer, it's to do with an accumulation of sun over your lifetime. So the skin cancer a person develops is not related to the sun they saw that summer gone. So it's to do with the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years of accumulated exposure. So that's important to remember. I think definitely people are aware, certainly parents, grandparents are amazing at looking after kids. It is so rare nowadays to ever hear a child ever having gone through a single sunburn in their life, which is amazing. And even in my generation, and I like to think I'm not that old, I was sunburnt regularly as a child and most people were sunburnt every summer, but you just don't see that anymore. So that's already a great step forward. Um, I think where we do fall down is in high school years and teenage years, young adult years, where you have that invincibility of youth and where a tan is still, still popular. But I think overwhelmingly people are aware and trying their best. Given that uh, it is a result of long-term damage, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's too late to take charge of your skin, does it? That's right. It's never too late uh, because it is to do with an accumulation of damage to our DNA. Um, So yes, it's not too late. You haven't missed the boat. That's exactly right. Uh, Now, how many golfers would you say you see in your, your practice? Oh, it feels like every second patient is a golfer. <laughs> Men, women, all ages. And it's um, it's a great topic to have a chat about. And we know golfers live longer, so there's lots of great benefits about playing golf, but it's a very popular sport. Um, so nice to have a chat to people about what they get up to. What are the most vulnerable parts of our person when we're out playing golf for several hours? It would depend on your outfit, but I would suggest it would be the face, neck, arms and legs. But in an ideal world, if you can find an outfit that is lightweight, um, comfortable and provides fabric as your primary form of sun protection, I'll be thrilled because um, that makes life a lot easier for people. And then really the sun sunscreen just goes primarily onto the face. What is a good pre-game skin protection routine for golfers, do you think? And should we do this every time, regardless of sunlight or season? Oh, I'd love the pre-game routine to be the same all year round. I'd love pay- people to be consistent and just get into that routine every day or every time they play golf. I think choose your outfit, find sleeves, find collars, find a fabulous hat with a big brim, find the sunnies. Use two gloves instead of one glove. Try and wear a hat rather than a visor. You know, get your outfit right. 
Um, and then sunscreen, sunscreen SPF 50 plus, make sure it's in date, make sure it hasn't been in the boot of the car or the, or, or the glove box and cooking in the heat. And make sure you put enough on. You actually need half a teaspoon of sunscreen for your face, another half a teaspoon for your neck, a full teaspoon for your arm and so forth. So be generous. Um, pop that on before you play. Have it in your golf bag ready to top up throughout the day. Um, all those common sense things. So I think people know what to do, but it's just if you do it every day or every time you play, it would just be second nature. What is the difference between SPF 50 and UPF 50? SPF relates to the sun protection factor of a sunscreen. So SPF 50 means that about 98% of the UVB light is filtered. UPF rating pertains to fabric, the sun protective nature of fabric or clothing. And so a UPF 50 is equivalent to an SPF 50 in that one fiftieth of um, the sunlight rays penetrate through the fabric. Um, I'm a big fan of fabric as a primary form of sun protection because it just makes life a lot easier. But really doing it all together um, is the ideal. You mentioned before some of the best ways of reducing the likelihood of skin cancer in terms of sunscreen, makeup, hats and clothing. There's now several brands offering some some great UPF 50 plus golf wear, such as the Australian brand Solbari. I know you're a fan of that brand, which manufactures UPF 50 plus gear, including golf wear, sun hats and accessories, such as arm sleeves and various types of hand covers. There's also the Canadian brand Nevo and the US brand Iqbal, to name a few others with UPF rating and specific material, such as you've spoken of. There's also some sun reflective umbrellas, which can be attached to golf buggies. So if you consider the number of UV days in the year compared to the number of rainy days, we might be getting more use out of our umbrellas in summer. Uh, we'll be shortly talking to Deborah Hutton, who's designed a range of UPF 50 plus hats called Canopy Bay, which are quite stylish, sun smart and perfect for golf. Have you seen those by any chance? I did have a look online and they were very chic and I thought I'd be very pleased to wear a hat like that. It's actually hard to find attractive hats and hats that fit well. So absolutely big fan. Oh, good. <laughs> we'll look forward to seeing you on one soon then. <laughs> Is regular screening for skin cancers a good idea for people who've not yet had skin cancer and how is screening best done at present? Uh, look, what we really recommend is for people to get to know their own skin and just, you know, think of your skin as its own fashion label. Your skin has its own sort of style and flavour and colour and sort of look. Your, your moles and freckles have your own unique pattern. And we really encourage self-skin examination as the first step. So in an ideal world with the change of the seasons, every three or four months or so, take a moment when you hop out of the shower um, grab a handheld mirror in addition to a mirror against the wall and cast a glance over your skin and just have a little look around. And if something doesn't quite look the part, that's where you need to see a GP. If you have a partner or a friend or a family member who can help you out, brilliant. That's fantastic. And then reciprocate the favour and check their skin for them as well. Then you've got to think laterally as well. You've got, you know, fabulous 
assistance in life. You've got physiotherapists, hairdressers, podiatrists, bra fitting assistants, um, all these people that we see from time to time, you know, chiropractors, etc., are in a great position to sing out if something is noted. And I've had plenty of patients say, look, my hairdresser noticed this or my podiatrist noted this. And so I think that's really wonderful when other people can just point out something that you might not have noticed. Certainly your GP is the best first port of call to perform a full skin examination. And if your GP feels that a specialist referral is appropriate, they will do that. And for high-risk patients, then certainly, yes, regular annual checks with a GP or a dermatologist would be really important. Well, Anita, it's vital for people to be aware of medical information on skin cancer, which they previously may not have known. We often feel that we're being sun smart. And then when we hear from somebody like yourself, we find that that actually we're not. So we're most grateful for your knowledgeable input today. So many thanks for joining us to educate us more on the risks and management of skin cancer. Thank you, Karen. It's my absolute pleasure. We are now joined by our other welcome guest today in Deborah Hutton. Deborah, hello. Oh, good day, Karen, and how are you? I'm great, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. That's my pleasure. Deborah, you've been a model since you were very young, gracing the cover of Cosmopolitan at 16. You've previously been editor of the Australian Women's Weekly for over 10 years. And you're currently an in-demand brand ambassador as well as a busy television presenter. So the question for you is, were you born with more hours in the day than the rest of us? Uh, Yeah, very funny. You know what? Look, Karen, I I suppose I'm an action person. I kind of have sort of two extremes. Sometimes when when I sort of turn off, I really, really turn off. And then when I'm on and, and it's and it's work mode, then I sort of get on with it, you know. And it's a bit like chatting to you today. I've got a couple of podcasts, I've got two interviews, and I just jam them all in together. And I go, okay, that's that's Friday, that's all good. So it's, you know, the things that draw me in, I will always find time for. And I suppose I've just been lucky that starting off as such a, such a young girl working at 16, I didn't know what my life was going to entail. And, and so I've never really had a grand plan, Karen. I've never been one of those people. And I've had people say, you know, what's your plan, your goals for five years? That's never been me. I just always like to look at the opportunities that come along. You know, do they fit? Don't they fit? How do I feel about it? And if they enthuse me and I'm passionate about it, then I, I go for it. And then, then you make time. Deborah, maybe less well known is that you're also a very keen golfer. When and how did golf enter your life? Oh, look, it's interesting. It, it was prior to 2000, might have been the late, obviously the late 90s. And I went up to a health farm at um, the Gold Coast and I could see that there was one way to escape the health farm. It must have been some weight loss thing, right? And I was like, they lock, it's one of those things you drive it and they sort of shut the gates behind you and you're locked in there for seven days and all the rest of it. So and I could see that the one way to escape the place was to go and have a golf lesson down at one of the courses on the Gold Coast. And I went, yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm happy to do that. I'm going to run away from the mung beans for an hour or so. So I went down there and I had a lesson and a guy handed me a seven iron and just said, let's just set you up and this is how you hold the stick and you know, da, 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 da. And I started hitting the balls and I thought, oh, this is fun. This, this is mm. good. I started doing a few connections and, and I took it up from there. I became a member of St. Michael's Golf Club up in Sydney and I just met some lovely people and I thought, you know, this is something I want to do. 
instead of going out and having long boozy lunches, I just want to go and play golf. The thing I didn't figure out is after golf, you can still have a long boozy lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you can. (laughs) What is it that attracts you to the game, do you think? Oh, I love the fact that there's a number of things that I love about golf. I mean, I, I love the camaraderie. You know, I play with some really good mates. The thing with me with golf is I've discovered that, you know, I, I, the things that I need are really good mates. Um, it made me take time out in a really beautiful location. I love the fact that you're out in these gorgeous golf courses and you can play anywhere around the world. You can play with friends. You take time out. You go, that's my day. It's away from a telephone. It's peaceful. Your mind's on hitting the ball. You don't have to think about anything else. I loved that. You know, but the the things I have with me is I... it's a game that if I couldn't swear, I'd be I'd be in all sorts of trouble. <laughs> so, so I can definitely let out a few bombs if I'm having a bit of a bad day. But I just, you know, you've got to have a sense of humour. You've got to be able to swear. And look, just between you and me, Karen, um, there's always a hip flask in my bag, just hidden down the back, just for those days where it's a little too cold in winter or things are just going really bad or you've had a great shot and, and people go, let's celebrate and whatever. And it's just a little emergency hip flask in the bottom of my bag. Mm, perhaps everybody should have one of those. Oh, the, 100%. You know. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've said I'm playing with a girlfriend and she's just said, I've just had a lesson. I'm like, I can't even ball anymore. And I said, well, the best thing you could do is have a swig of this. And she has a swig. The next thing you know, she's, she's just like hitting them so sweet. And I went, see, it's my little secret weapon. <laughs> with your busy schedule, how often do you get to play? Well, I was playing twice a week there for some time. But um, Karen, I sold my house in December last year and I moved just an hour south of Sydney. So I'm a member of the Australian and I love that club and I've been a member for about 10 years. And it's just been a very disruptive year this year because, you know, selling, moving, putting stuff in storage. I'm living in this little postage size house, which is eventually going to be a, a full demolition, knockdown, rebuild. So because I've literally moved out of Sydney, it's been a big, some big changes. So I haven't been playing as much as I'd like to this year. But that's all going to change. So literally, you know, I'm probably, if I can even get back to once a week, I'd be really happy. Um, and I have had times that I've played a lot. So I'm, I'm getting back into it again. Summer's coming. So, yeah. But the sad thing is my handicap, because, you know, when I was playing, I was sort of doing sort of, I'm never going to be a great golfer. I'm a mid-range golfer. And my handicap down to, my G, my G I was like 17. But now, of course, I can hardly hit the bloody ball. <laughs> with this ridiculous handicap which is no match for the way I'm playing at the moment so it's a little bit challenging so I've got to stick in a few cards so I can um so I can get back to what my handicap should be well fortunately you've got that hip flask there as well exactly Karen see you're picking up on exactly my thoughts that's exactly right now, we've heard from Dr. Anita Lasotsky earlier on the what's, whys and hows of skin cancer and that golfers can be particularly prone to it. When did you first encounter skin cancer yourself? Oh, my God, it's been 30 years ago now. I had a little baby one that was something that's on my chest. I always call my chest the leather bib because it was the bit that actually got the most sun when I, when I was out there. And I was like, oh, that's a skin cancer. Oh, okay. Well, you just cut it out and sew it up and move on. And I never gave it another thought. And then a bit over 10 years ago now, I, there was a, something on my uh, 
uh, just to the right of my nose on my top lip and, and we'd be keeping an eye on it through my derm and he just said, oh, I'll just keep an eye on it. He didn't do much about it. And I was down in Melbourne and I'd finished hosting a, a big event down there and I went back to the hotel and I washed my face and, and put a, coal, a hot compress on there and um, this thing started bleeding. So I, uh, I managed to get onto a derm pretty quickly through a friend of mine and he said, look, this is got to come out it's not looking good so it's a thing called the infiltrating bcc and look there's different types of bccs and sccs but this one had the power of actually you know left alone it could have entered the bloodstream so i obviously you know he said we're going to do this pretty quickly so i found a surgeon being that it was on my face and i didn't know what i was in for really it was a bit of a shock when he said look i don't know how much we're going to take i sort of sat in the car after that appointment and burst into tears because i thought my my entire career has been based on my face. And what do you mean you don't know, you know, how much you're going to take? And he said, well, you know, we'll do, they need to keep cutting it like most surgery. They do frozen sections, which basically you do it with pathology. So you keep cutting and you test the skin to make sure you've got the margins, which means you never know how much they're going to take. And this was all a revelation to me. I just had no idea that was what it was all about. So that was my first one. And that was um, about... Oh, oh, my God. Yeah, 11, 11, 12 years ago. What was your reaction when it reappeared in exactly the same place uh, 9 or 10, 11 years later? Well, after, you know, after that, I obviously got my skin checked like all the time. I think I was getting down to twice a year or something like that, maybe once, twice a year. So we keep an eye on things. And we were sort of marching towards COVID, you know, new but he's strain of virus started to come out of us and talking about it and I went in and, and um it was something it was sort of something there and I and my derm said oh, I'm not too sure and I kept seeing the plastic surgeon as well so I've always had the plastic surgeon keeping an eye on me because he's also just knows me he's you know he sort of knows me knows my skin and they said look he said I'm a bit worried because with this COVID he said we're starting to lose pathologists he said they're starting to um not want to come into work and he said, I really want to do a biopsy. And I was sitting in front of him and he said, I really think we should do it now. He said, and I said, oh, okay. And he said, well, I want to do it on both of them. I said, what do you mean both of them? Because I can see there was this tiny little red dot. It was so tiny. And that was what he was looking at. And he said, no, there's another one there. Well, it was, I could not see it. I just couldn't see what they were talking about. And I go in and, of course, they take out, you know, one of them was like three mils. And she said, oh, maybe we'll be able to get it if it's, if we do a big enough biopsy. And then it came back that they both needed to be taken out. And you know, look, I, that kind of shocked me because it was the first time that I noted, I, you know, it was in the same area. They did this flap surgery and they got the skin and I don't know how he did it, but if we're going back in again, I mean, how much more in my face is it going to take? That was the thing that, that kind of, you know, I was like, all right. And he said, look, it's the same type. It's the simple trading BCC. And he said, Deb, you've got to do it now because COVID's happening. You know, hospitals are closing down. And so, yeah, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that it had gone. And so what I'd learned, Karen, is, is this particular area where your nose is and your lip and where your cheeks are, it's like a, a freeway. And it's a lot of open area there. So um, cancer cells tend to be drawn to a trauma area. And that obviously I'd had trauma in that area before with the surgery. And so it's sort of targeted, but it kind of flows through. So it wasn't that they didn't get the cancer the first time. It was like, well, if it's going to go back anywhere, that's when it's going to go back. 
And anyway, we did the operation. I came out and I sort of said, you know, I was expecting for them to do, um, you know, might have to do a skin graft or something. And they're ugly. Skin graft is something you just want to avoid at all costs. But unfortunately, and before you go into the knife, you don't actually know what what's happening. Again, it's one of those things I have to keep cutting till they get all the margins. So, yeah. Did you fear for your career or even your life at any stage or you're mainly concerned with dealing with it at a practical level? Well, since then I've learnt, um, I've obviously I've done a lot of, you know, I did a thing on Skin Deep for Channel 7 this year. I did a whole, um, I spent months recording and shooting with stories. I learned a lot talking to surgeons and stuff like that. The thing about infiltrating BCCs and SCCs is they are left unattended. They can enter the bloodstream. If they enter the bloodstream, it's like, you know what, then you've just lost control and you never know where it's going to end up. So at the time, I wasn't thinking about, you know, could this end my life? But yes, it's definitely something that I know that now I've had all these skin cancers, that my life is definitely going to be filled with me getting stuff cut out. And if I don't get onto it, then I know there's a risk that it could get into the bloodstream, okay? So I know that now and I know that that obviously that scares me, but but at the time, I'm like, well, you know, yeah, this is, yes, what's going to happen? Am I going to lose a nose? Am I going to lose? Now I look at my skin. I look at my lips. I'm looking at the things really close to you. You become very paranoid. And you look and I'm going, is that something? Is that something in my lip? Am I going to lose a lip? And then, yeah, that's like, well, what happens then? But look, Karen, I'm 60, right? So I've got my work, I've got things that I do, but realistically, do I have that many more years of doing television and things like that? And I've done enough covers in my life. I'm not, I'm not you know, it's about me and my story now. It's not about, hmm. you know, being the face of things. You know, I've got a couple of businesses and stuff and my face is my face, but at least we've got a few shots in the bag, you know. We don't have to repeat some fresh photographs all the time. I've got a lot of hair. I think, oh, well, I'll just put the hair over it or something like that. You make do. you just got to make sure you're cancer-free. You know, I try and make a joke out of it. I have to. You've got to keep light about it. I'm very lucky. That's why I, I keep it pretty light. I'm very lucky. Mm, I, I think a sense of humour is quite invaluable when you're dealing with life's challenges, isn't it? Of course. Of course it is. Now, not long after the surgery, you very bravely shared images on Instagram of the post-surgery stitches, which extended from your nose to your chin. Mm. Uh, These raw images were quite jolting for some people. Were they jolting for you as well when you first saw them? Well, this is the thing. I, I didn't know. I went in to get the stitches removed a week later and I said to the nurse, how many stitches? She said, too many to count and I'm like okay and I didn't know I and I didn't know anything I said can you just take a photograph before the stitches come out so she took a photograph I didn't look at it you know uh, stitches came out I had wadding on there I didn't want to look at it I just went I just went home sat on the couch and I thought you know what I'm just going to see what it looks like I didn't look in the mirror and I looked at that photograph and it just looked really brutal that was the word that came to mind and I thought this is something that it shocked me because it was like, wow, that is so graphic. But I thought, this is something, I should share this. What, this is crazy. This, and we're all out there beating ourselves. You know, we're in the sun, we're doing this, that, and the other. I spent my life, I'm like, so many other Aussies. And I thought, you know, this is something, this is now really serious. I've done the second time, same place. I don't know, I'm gonna, you know this, is my, this is my life now. So it's, um, I just shared it without a thought. I just went, you know what, this, people need to see this. Mm. And that night I 
was listening. I was lying on the couch and Peter Overton, who's a newsreader in Channel 9 up in Sydney, oh, I could hear him in the background. I was making some dinner and I heard him say, oh, by the way, you know, when and Deborah Hutton, you know, has suffered some, you know, issues about the skin cancer. And there was a, that photograph ended up on the Nine News. And I was like, wow. And then I looked at my Instagram the next day and it had just gone viral and it had just made such a huge impact. So, yeah, it was really interesting to see how it played out. And by the end of that week, that second day, I thought, you know what, this has got legs, this needs, this is something, this reaction is is true and raw and real, so let's work with this. So I contacted the editor of the Women's Weekly and I said, I'm going to be doing a photograph on Friday. I'm gonna, I've, got, I've got a photographer on board, hair and makeup artist, stylist, and I want to do a cover story and I want to show this scar and I don't want any makeup. I don't want any, anything. I just want it to be a really beautiful shot, but it's got to have the scar. It's got to have the story. And she supported me in that. She said, that's the easiest cover story I've done. And I shot it on the Friday and it's one of, it's still, it made such an impact on that cover story. It was a, a good seller and it, it got out there. So it just started a whole trajectory, which was really interesting to see the power of social media done in a really positive way. More and more in recent times, we are seeing women share honest images of themselves, such as what a double mastectomy looks like. These can be very powerful images in raising awareness. Yeah. Yet in past times, they wouldn't have seen the light of day. Do you think, for example, you could have felt you could release those images, say, 20 years ago? Oh, look, I think that's a really interesting question. In 20 days, we didn't have social media, you know, but everything was very, because I brought up in the 80s and the 90s and it's so image driven. The modelling industry is very image driven and everything, you know, being a face of Qantas and Holder and this and that, it was all about image, image and perfect image and retouching and all the rest of it. You know, we've, we've come a long way, thankfully, since then. And I'm seeing just the birth of of real bodies, you know, mm. like real women with real bodies. And, and and I think it's really gotten to a point where the realness, uh, it just has such integrity to it that people are not going to put up with all the smoke and mirrors anymore, you know. And I think years ago, no, I think there would have been something that you would have gone, well, how's that going to impact your career? But I'm so thankful that We've really walked away from that. And, you know, we're embracing different parts of ourselves and the truth about ourselves as human beings that, that we should. That I don't know why we've, you know, it's taken this long to get there. But, but thankfully, we're there. It's a good thing. It's a really positive thing. It is a positive thing that we've evolved to see that there is beauty and honesty and accepting that what previously might have been seen as flawed and therefore, you know, quote, unquote, yeah. ugly um, yeah. is actually beautiful. It's also a good thing that women are now more sure of themselves in society so that they actually feel they can be their authentic selves without risking anything or everything even. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I think it feels like a breakthrough, but it's we've been working that way for some time and I, and I think we're on the right trajectory. So, mm. you know, as long as we... As long as there's a lot of support around that, and I think there is, I think people are just being, and look, at young generations are really are driving that as well, you know, but I think you've got to work together. The male and female has to work together. I, you know, this, this sort of, you know, the sort of women against men thing, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, I just think you've got to, the, the yin and the yang of life is really important. The balance of that is really important. And as long as you've got, so you're supporting each other and understanding that we're all human beings and having a human experience, 
Um, it's about supporting and loving and, um, and that's the most important thing for me. You've now become an advocate for skin cancer awareness. Beyond sharing your own story, how does this advocacy work? Are you affiliated, for example, with any particular organisation? Look, I haven't been. I've been approached by a few and I and I was doing some things for the Skin Hospital or Skin Institute in Sydney. And look, I, I work, I do some things with Chris O'Brien. I don't have an official affiliation, but I, I support the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse, um, you know, cancer uh, research and hospital in Sydney who do amazing work. There's a friend of mine who started a thing called Skin Check Champions and he's really sort of pushing for a national skin check program. I do what I can for him. I think without being sort of aligned with one in particular, I try to share. But if anything these days, I'm coming down to Melbourne next week and I'm watching something and I, I, I talk a lot about the skin cancer now. I've done a, a few, you know, I do some keynotes, not only in my life, but I like to lead it towards where I'm at with skin cancer now because I think it's a very important part of my journey. It's it's where I'm at at the moment. And I think out of all the, the hundreds of thousands of photographs and covers and magazines and all sorts of things that I've, that I've done over my 40-plus year career, the most important photograph that's done the most good in my life is that one I posted of my skin scar, on my cancer scar, because it's done the most good. Some of the statistics around skin cancer, in particular melanoma, can be quite startling. Should we be terrified of skin cancer or is respectful and mindful enough? Where where is the balance, do you think? Oh, I think it's a bit of both, to be honest with you. I don't think you need to be terrified, but I think there's an absolute knowledge and an understanding that we are considered globally as our our disease in Australia is considered globally as skin cancer, right? We are the skin cancer country of the world. And I think we need much more empowered information um, and knowledge around the, the dangers of skin cancer. But I also think you've got to have a relationship with it, right? You, you can't expect Australians to just, you know, lock themselves away and never go in the sun. I, you know, we live in a beautiful country. We're lucky. We're a country and a culture. We love to be outdoors. We love sport. We love to be out there. And why wouldn't you be? We've got this incredible, incredible country. So, but I think you've got to understand and, and develop a relationship with it. I think, you know, I mean, I, I go for walks in the morning and, and, I, and I know that we need vitamin D, right? So I go for really early walks, you know, in the sunrise and I, I don't wear a hat because I'm out there really early and I, and I get my little vitamin D dose. But as soon as it sort of comes along and it's sort of 10 o'clock, the, the hat is on, the sunscreen goes on daily, come what may. If I want to go for a swim, I choose my times. I'm, I'm mindful of what I wear. I'm just, you've got to have a relationship, a really sensible relationship and understand the dangers of skin cancer and particularly understand if you don't get your skin checked. And there's two sides to this. One, sort of the younger generation is understanding the importance of what UV rays play in your life when you're outdoors. And I still see young girls going down to the beach and then got the G-strings and the whole thing and they're just being out there and they're baking themselves. I'm like, well, that was me. But I had no idea at that particular time of life that that was the damage that I was instilling in my life for decades to come. So the importance of understanding the damage that it does. And then the other side is the age I'm at now is we've done a lot. We've done. We're wearing the damage. We're seeing it. So it's about getting your skin checked and the importance. Two out of three people are going to get skin cancer. It's, it's, it's a fact. It's a fact. So the importance of getting your skin checked regularly, I can't overemphasize how critical that is. 
And, and I can't begin to tell you how many of my friends that I just want to slap them because they said, I just, oh, I haven't done it. God, it's been probably two or three years. I'm like, are you insane? You've got to go and get your skin checked. And, and, and anyone's got a good dermatologist and, and just be careful because there's some kind of quack doctors out there, but I love good derms. Have a relationship. If you've got a really good doctor, make sure that you see the same person so they get to know your skin, who you are, and then they and you've got any kind of trauma, they'll they can monitor it and there's amazing machines out now. And don't be scared. Don't be scared you're gonna end up with having huge bits cut out. Just just get it dealt with. Just do it and save yourself because it's so critically important that we're really mindful of it in so many ways. Anita mentioned the importance of sun protective hats for golfers. So let's talk about your range of Canopy Bay hats. How did they come about and what are the features of these UPF 50 plus hats? Yeah, look, thank you. One of the emails I got from that posting that particular scar photograph on Instagram, I reached out, there was an email from this company called Rigon. Uh, Australian made they've been they've been uh, making hats north of Sydney for decades and they reached out and said I'll never forget this they said do you realize the hats you're wearing aren't necessarily giving you maximum sun protection and I was like what and uh and I was like no and you know I'm a golf you know I've got little visors and caps and all the rest of it and they said no you know there's a such thing as UPF 50 plus hats and I had no idea so I met up with them and I really got an understanding of this particular, uh, it's, it's, it's patented, this, this company, uh, you know, they created this, this thing called Flexi Braid, which is quite extraordinary. It's, it's, it's part recycled material and it's the way that they braid this material together and the closeness of how they've actually done and woven this braid that gives it this UV protection and UV rays can't pass through it. So once you then add the visor of the hat itself at a certain, you know, it's got to be a certain centimetres that, that it's got to sit to protect your ears and your neck, then you can get rated UPF 50 plus. And so I just found all of this out and I said, would, which I was just horrified. I thought, oh my God, all these cute hats I've been wearing. And, you know, you go overseas, you go to Greece and you go to all this, I'll go buy a $10 hat and put it on. It's doing bugger all. It's doing absolutely nothing. And I was just shocked to learn that. And I'm thinking, as a golfer, we're out there for what, you know, five plus hours, four or five hours in full sun. And I was like, wow, okay. I said, if we're going to, I said, would you like to do a range? I said, I would love to work on that. I said, but if we do this, I have to do golf hats because I love golf. I'm out there a couple of times a week. And I had no idea. And I said, it's got to be a golf hat included, blah, 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 blah. So we started a range. I wanted to create a range of, sophisticated I wanted to have something that had a bit of style to it and you know that kind of ticked all the boxes in terms of lifestyle and how we love to live you know something to go to lunch in to play golf in to go down to the beach in you know all these sort of different places that you you know you want to get dressed up or dressed down these hats were gonna we're gonna create you know some you know maximum sun protection so I launched Canopy Bay bit over 12 months ago now and they're incredible hats we've had a fantastic reaction but i tell you what's amazing about these hats is they've got an insert that you can make really tight uh, it doesn't they're very soft so it doesn't leave any marks on your forehead importantly i played recently in a three club wind and my hat did not come off <laughs> so you just you basically pull it and i swear to god it was everyone's cap flying everywhere mine was just like hanging in there 
you can wash them. So all the UPF 50 plus tint that I wear that comes off on the band, I put them under the, the tap and I wash them. They're waterproof and you can flat pack them. So when you're traveling overseas or traveling in Queensland or Noosa to go and play golf, they flat pack, they pop out the other end and they're in perfect condition. So when I found all, out all that and Canopy Bay does that, it's one of the proudest things I do right now. And one of my passions is Canopy Bay and it's been such a, um, a fun project to work on. Mm. Well, that hat's a really fabulous step. I have to commend you on that. Thank you. Now, they're also colour fast, lightweight and hard wearing too. So they're very, very practical. Very practical, uh, yeah. Aren't they, which is a wonderful thing. I'm mm. rather taken with Flexi Braid actually as a material. It's, as you say, 30% of the fibres come from recycled materials and those are also ethically sourced, I gather. So yeah. It, it really fits in well with sustainability golf as well, doesn't it? Yeah, and look, they are, they're durable. They're, they're long-lasting. And so I suppose the thing is, you know, you've got to have more than one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've, got, I've, got, I've got different hats. I've got, I mean, obviously I've got as many hats as I like, but, but I've, I've got different golf hats that go with different outfits and I love that. I think they're well-priced, particularly because of what they do. And I've had people say, oh, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, well, whatever hat you're wearing, just think about are you actually wearing it? to give yourself some protection or, or well, because there's a lot of hats out there that are doing, as I said, they're doing, not doing their job properly. Aside from the Comfy Fit internal adjuster, you also have some hats for petite heads, don't you? Because there are a range of heads. Yeah, that's right. We have small, medium and medium, large. And we also have extra large and extra, extra large because a lot of men are saying, you know, we'd love some of the styles. We're actually coming out with some dedicated men's hats soon, actually, because we're getting quite the call, particularly because a lot of women buy them for their partners and said, you know, and the guy, you know, honey, you've got to get you in one of these hats. So they're definitely coming out. Actually, this week we've just signed off. I've just signed off on a few and named them and all the rest of it. So that's definitely happening. But the nice thing about this adjustable insert is that you can, like I said, if you pull them tight, they adjust to your perfect head size. So if you do have a small, that's why they sell really well online. We launched in COVID lockdown, which was like, wow. But we did really well because of this particular insert. It's adjustable and extremely comfortable. So they're very well thought out. They're great hats. What do you want me to say? <laughs> I, love, I love them. I'm very proud of them. I'm very proud of what they do and, and how they're constructed and importantly that they're Australian made. Well, it's a great alliance between your brand and with Rygon being an Australian brand as well. And I've actually um, spoken to the Rygon people and I was quite impressed with their emphasis not just on serious sun protection but on ethical manufacture and operation within the company. Uh, I gather that they're making some hats from bamboo and I'm wondering, do you have any bamboo hats in your range yet? I don't have any bamboo in the range. I have Madagascan raffia and raffia is very, very popular in summer. It's beautiful. It's a lovely textured raffia. But the thing that's different about the raffia that is can, the Canopy Bay raffia hats is, again, the way that they've, they've woven them together. So if you look at most raffia hats, they're usually crocheted. That's how all the raffia hats are made. But mine aren't, and we stitch them with the braid so they're actually making sure that the UV rays don't penetrate. So I haven't quite gone down the, the bamboo route yet to look at that, but, you know, canopy base in its infancy, so stay tuned, as they say, Karen. 
Which of the styles, for those that are looking on the website to buy online, you can, of course, go to Stockists and I will put a link to the Canopy Bay website and also to Rygon in the show notes. Mm. But for those that are looking online, which of the Canopy Bay styles would be most suitable for golf, would you think? Well, there's a number of them that have hidden magnets in there. So they've got the little ball marker on the side with the DH. Probably my favourite and the one that sort of uh, goes with everything is the Kingston, which is the white and it's got the little black ribbon and then the black sort of trim on the hat. Um, the Cypress is another one which is quite pretty. It's like a soft little blue with a really lovely silvery blue ribbon, which I quite love. A new one we've just released is called Coolum. So definitely the Coolum you should look at. Definitely for Queenslanders as well. And cool, it's just got a really lovely new colour wave there. And I don't know. Anglesey was another one that I that I did, which was great. So there's you can definitely see the ones that have the golf marker. And then there's also others that don't have a golf marker. That what I've done is I've just put the clip on. I've got a little turn up ribbon, and sometimes I put the clip on that and use that. So they're my they're my favourite. The range also includes the currently very cool hat, the bucket hat, made famous by Hannah Green for her love of wearing it, as did Jared Lyle in his playing days. I think there's a bucket hat in the Canopy Bay range too, isn't there? It's called Evoca. Hmm? Yeah, it's called Evoca. We've just released a new shade for this summer, which is a really soft duck egg sort of blue. So we launched it last year and it's just a really lovely neutral sort of stone colour, but yeah, it's really cute. It appeals to a different demographic too. A lot of the younger girls love wearing them and it's, it's lovely. Great. You can just fold it in. I mean, it's just fold it down, shove it in the bag. So it usually goes into my bag. On top, but plus when I travel, I take two or three of the Canopy Bay hats because they just flat pack on top of one another. So that's the beautiful thing about it. Um, and on the website, it shows how to do it. There's certain ways that you can fold them. But the evokers, yeah, it's very, very popular. My Pilates teacher just got one. She said, I love the bucket hat. Oh, my good. Unless you protect it when you go into the sun. <laughs> <laughs> now you've got something else on the go at the moment, and that is your new range of homeware. Yes. What can you tell us about Home with Deborah Hutton? Oh, look, I, um, uh, yeah, Home with Deborah Hutton, I, it, it also launched, funnily enough, in COVID. I can't believe that these things sort of all happened when we were in lockdown. But I had a very successful range years ago called Living with Deborah Hutton, which was sold through Kmart stores. And we had 800 SKUs at some point in every Kmart store in the country. And it was going very, very well. And I loved it because I was doing a lot of lifestyle um, shows for Channel 9, etc. And then they sold Kmart to West Farmers and all that went sideways when they started dealing with China. I got a call from the guy that I was working with a couple of years ago and he said, he calls me Hut. He said, Hut, Hut, I, we, we, we have unfinished business. We've got to get you back into homewares again. So he bought all the house stores, my house, and he went into retailing and house bed and bath. So we, we relaunched, we went back into homewares, which is such a passion for me. And I just love it. So we came back last year with Home with Deborah Hutton and it's primarily sort of based in sort of Manchester and beautiful bedding. And, and it's just been, um, so we just launched our, our second season. And I was down in Melbourne recently and I was looking at bed and had a whole window full of it and I did some, did some content put it down there, but it's beautiful. I love it. I'm looking at them. My bed is over there. I, I just love all the new designs. And it's very much sort of coastal. I suppose my life is coastal. I love, you know, I'm looking out at the ocean at the moment. I, I It's a kind of a way of life for me, coastal. It's I think it's a look that that is very appealing for a lot of people. It's like it's very simple. It's very classic. I think it has sort of a long 
you know, it's not something that you get over. Uh, you know, it's got a sort of a long life to it. You never find too much color with me because I think sometimes you can tire of color, but I'm very much neutral navy based. So, yeah. I think it's a very calming style as well, isn't it? It's easy to live with regardless of whether you're near the beach or not. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's the thing that I, I it just fits to me. It's just, it's my colour palette that's very neutral. It's what I wear. It's basically, you know, how I get dressed. So it's the same sort of thing, I suppose, with my homewares. It's just how I like to live. And it's just a beauty. I mean, there's kind of a Hampton throwback. It's very coastal, but I do think that in Australia we tend to live with the life that we have. I think it, it lends itself to having these really fresh pieces that kind of just sit really easily within most homes. And, you know, even if, with the country, I released a new um, bedding called Sinclair, which is sort of something that we've got the Highlands, which is an hour and a half sort of from the coast, but it's in the country and it's just got this really lovely sort of feel to it that just kind of matches both so yeah the other two things that I really love working on my my homewares and my hats canopy bay and that's primarily what takes up most of my my time these days which makes me really happy where does golf fit into that exactly Fridays (laughs) (laughs) Fridays Fridays are golf um, comp day and then I love playing socially so Sundays is the day that I like to I always used to put aside Sundays I used to play with the busy girls but you know I'm planning on a few trips I'm going up my uncle in Queensland he's been a member of RQ for nearly 50 years I'm going up for Christmas and I'll play boxing day with him and you know I love that I love playing with the with some old mates and yeah I've got some good friends I've made some brilliant friendships through golf and I it's a thing that brings us together it's such a brilliant game balance is an important word in golf we need to be balanced to swing well for a start as well as an important word in life itself. Mm. Now, you know, we've talked obviously about your very busy life. How difficult is it for you to find time to just be with yourself these days? One of the reasons I moved out of Sydney was to do that, was to step back and get away from the hecticness of when we came out of lockdown and everything just went back and this energy in Sydney for me, was just sort of sending me a bit spare, the traffic and there's too many people. And I personally loved, you know, being in, in lockdown because it just showed that there was this calmness and I didn't have emails and people hassling me and I could walk every day and and you could sit and there was just this energy. Everything just was like this beautiful wet blanket just sort of sat over everything for me. And I, you know, this is a very personal experience for me and it was very different for a lot of people. And I've got a lot of friends in Melbourne. I've, I think it was a very tough time for a lot of people, but personally it was a revelation. And so I decided to move out of Sydney and, and I live now an hour out. I live right on the coast. I drive around here and I can feel the breath. I can feel the air and I can feel the space. And I just so much more relaxed. So it's easy for me to take myself out of that hectic environment of being this collective energy in the city. Automatically, I can just feel that there's more balance in my life. I'm in a really good space in my life where I'm doing things that really have much more meaning to them. So there in life lies the balance. In a short time frame, you've dealt with skin cancer and also reached the magic milestone of 60. What is your message to others about living life to the fullest, no matter what faces you or what age you are? 
Look, I've always had a motto, live life, life is your last day because one day you're going to be right. And I suppose it's one of those things for me that I've always been a glass half full person and life is is so short and I've had the career I've had because I've never really said no to too many things. I love to embrace challenge and I do all that and I take things on because I never know what's around the corner. And I just think that has given me such a beautiful life, which I'm incredibly grateful for. The 60 for me has been like putting a book down of my life so far and picking up a whole new book with it's just got blank sheets of paper. That's what it feels like to me. And I'm excited by that. So it's interesting going through the decades, the 40s and the 50s. But 60 to me is like a whole new I'm like, I feel like I'm heading into this beautiful future where I get to write whatever it is that I want. And I know now more than ever what I want and what pleases me and the things that draw me to it, the things that really I can find passion for and that, that, that are much more meaningful. And the things that don't, I go, you know what, I'm good. I can get rid of that. So I think it's really about bringing in the things that are really important, saying no, that will free up a lot of stuff. I have beautiful friendships. I want to spend time with people. I want to eat well. I want to be healthy. I want to, you know, I've always wanted to be healthy, but finding time to have strength and exercise and eat well is critical for me. I feel so much better doing that. So find the things that work, relationships that work. You know, I'm just grateful to be here every day is a, is a fresh new page. And I feel that I'm not locked into so much stuff anymore. And that's just a really, really beautiful place to be for me. Mm. I think one of the lovely things about life is possibilities and choice. Mm. And it sounds as if, you know, that's where you are at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm allowing myself some space to have that. Mm. So that's the good thing about it. Well, Deborah, it's been fantastic to talk with you today about your encounter with skin cancer and ways in which we can all take some simple measures to reduce our risk of this insidious disease. Mm. We're really most grateful to you for your time and honesty. So thank you for joining us and sharing your story with us. Oh, my pleasure, Karen. It's been really gorgeous chatting to you. I hope you've enjoyed hearing from Anita and Deborah as much as I have. The more we can learn about managing sun exposure safely, the more we can continue to still enjoy our lives outdoors while also reducing the risk of sun damage and skin cancer. For golfers, that's a win-win. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let fellow golfers know we're here, either by word of mouth, sharing a link, or leaving a favourable rating or review. The more people who come to the show, the more visible we can make the stories of women in golf and of the men who support them. If you'd like to have new episodes live completely free of charge as soon as they're available, you can hit the subscribe or follow button next to the T for Two podcast on your phone or device podcast app. And if you have any questions or have someone in mind whose story you think might be interesting, please feel free to shoot me an email at hello at tfor2.com.au. T for Two is produced on the traditional country of the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation in Victoria and offers respect to their elders past, present and emerging. I'm really looking forward to catching up with you for our next Tea Time together. Our next guest is also someone whose story you will enjoy, so look out for that one. Until then, have fun in golf. 
Thanks for listening to Tea for Two. To check out other episodes and to keep up to date with what's happening in women's golf, please head over to teafor2.com.au.